calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 2, Episode 8. Four. After 20 minutes of searching for Liam in the darkened streets of Antakya, first silently, then calling his name, disturbing the residents be damned, it was apparent that whatever had happened to Liam, he hadn't wandered off in search of coffee or cigarettes. He had his phone, Sal said. Can we locate that? Grace frowned. I'm sure Liam could, but since he's the one who's gone missing, that's not really helpful. I think we should assume that something supernatural has occurred, and uh, tracing cell phones will be of limited use, said Manchu. Why are we assuming that? asked Sal. Because the only other option that comes to mind is that he was abducted out from under our noses, in which case we are dealing with professionals who will either contact us for ransom or who will attempt to extract information before killing Liam. All told... The most reassuring option is that he disappeared to wherever the man with the donkey has gone. Sal felt her stomach go cold. We just needed to go on a mission together, to be a team again. This wasn't the way this was supposed to work out. The man with the donkey paused, and for lack of anything better to do, Liam approached him. The rest of the world was indistinct. Liam felt as though he was on a road, but when he tried to look around, he found it hard to tell whether he was walking through a city, over plains, or along a treacherous mountain pass. In the distance, off the path, he could see tiny lights blink on and off. Liam resolutely ignored them. He was doing his best not to think about the fact that he was trapped in some kind of ghost realm, isolated from his friends, and with no apparent route back to where he'd come from. But he was dead certain, no, bad choice of words, make that absolutely certain, that leaving the path was about the dumbest thing he could do. So he kept his eyes and his attention on the man with the donkey. Hello, Liam, said the man, because of course the ghost of an ancient Mongol knew his name and spoke perfect modern English. Hello, said Liam, because being rude to ghosts was probably a bad idea. 
He was half waiting for the trader to say something creepy and portentous as a follow-up, but apparently the trader wasn't much of a conversationalist, and having fulfilled the demands of courtesy, he turned and continued on his way. Liam took a deep and shuddering breath. Get a grip, he told himself. You're in some kind of weird ghost dimension where long-dead Silk Road traders know your name. This is nothing like having your brain hijacked by a demon for a couple of years. The problem with lying to yourself, Liam decided, was that you knew when you were full of shit. After his possession, Liam had briefly seen a spiritual counselor who repeatedly advised against what he termed negative self-talk. He thought it wasn't healthy for Liam to blame himself for what he might have done while he was under demonic influence. Liam had tried that for a while, but found that relentless positivity only made him uncomfortable. Maybe Sal was right about his deeply rooted Catholic guilt. Maybe growing up in a working class household in Belfast was just too much to kick. Whatever the reason, Liam eventually made his peace with the idea that a little mild verbal abuse was more relaxing to him than a hundred people saying that everything was going to be okay. If no one was around to supply it, well, Liam hadn't been raised to be dependent on others either. Liam squeezed his fists hard enough to hear his knuckles crack and feel the pain of his blunt nails digging into his palms. He could still feel. He was in control. If you can feel pain, he reminded himself, it means your body is here, not there. The others will notice that you're missing. They will be working to bring you back. All you have to do is get your head out of your arse and do your share to meet them in the damn middle. Liam took another breath and looked at his surroundings again. He was definitely on a road. The area outside of the road continued to be dark and shifting. Now it looked like a modern cityscape. A few seconds later, it became a deserted mountain border crossing. It was always night, and the blinking lights in the distance continued to wink in and out. Liam remembered the giant glowing spiders in the Team 4 library, who decided ignoring the lights was still the smart call, and turned his attention to the other people on the path. The man and the donkey were becoming more vague as they moved forward into the distance. Liam jogged after them and found it only took a few steps to be back beside them again. The man raised an eyebrow, but otherwise ignored him. Okay, intent is more important than distance here. See something, walk toward it, and you're there. Good to know. Reassured that he wasn't going to lose sight of his one reference point, Liam let his attention wander. Unlike in Antakya, where the ghosts had seemed at least roughly matched in terms of historical period, here, the people on the road were much more varied. There were men, women, even children, dressed for every kind of weather and out of every culture he could think of. He spotted a girl, maybe in her late teens, walking along the road with a small suitcase in one hand and her Colombian passport clutched in the other. What the hell is she doing in Turkey? Liam snorted to himself. If this is Turkey, I'm the Pope. But if this wasn't Turkey, where was it? This is the Silk Road. But that phrase brought something very specific to Liam's mind, and it wasn't ancient traitors. Liam scanned the people on the road with more intent. Now that he was looking for people, the road seemed more densely populated, as though summoned by his subconscious. Liam did his best not to think about what that implied and focused on the matter at hand. Who would be here? As soon as Liam asked himself the question, figures began to pop out from the crowd, as though lit with a spotlight only he could see. Three men in Afghan dress who Liam would have bet money were at least part-time poppy farmers. What about... And there was a group of illegal gun dealers. Liam didn't recognize their faces, but he had spent enough cold nights by the docks with older brothers who thought it was cute to bring a kid with them when they did their less-than-legal business 
to recognize the type easily enough. Pale, hard men. No matter what the movies implied, hackers didn't all look like stringy-haired white guys in dirty basements. But once he was looking, Liam could see them. Eastern European identity thieves, Asian government-employed black hats, and yes, a couple of bored college students and general anarchists for good measure. Liam didn't approve of messing with magic, but that just meant he paid even more attention to the practical knowledge that the team had picked up over the years. Sympathy, he knew from Asante's more enthusiastic ramblings on the subject, could be created by similarity of form, like a voodoo doll, by congruency of place, like their little stunted roads, or by using the same name to bind objects or places separated by time and space. The Silk Road had originally run from China to Rome and from there to the rest of Europe. But online, the Silk Road was an anonymous marketplace where you could buy anything from drugs to guns, a new identity, even people. It had, of course, been found and shut down, so someone had launched Silk Road 2.0, which had also been shut down. Liam hadn't heard of another official relaunch after that, but evidence definitely pointed to it being alive and well. Somehow, the idea that he was trapped in a magical representation of a website was much less unnerving than being sucked into a demon dimension. Even though his circumstances hadn't actually changed, computers were something Liam understood. It also meant that what had happened to him even made a certain amount of sense. After all, why was he here but none of the others? They had all been following the path of the historical Silk Road, so that wasn't it. Liam guessed that route had then intersected with the data line someone had laid in Antakya. Lines of power were lines of power, whether they were ley lines, chakra, or high-speed internet connections. But Liam was confident that he was the only member of Team 3 who also had a connection to the digital Silk Road running through those fibers. And that meant that while the others had walked on through, here he was. That definitely wasn't good. It wasn't natural. But it also wasn't demonic. It was just weird. Weird he could cope with. Weird was his job. Liam scanned the road again. He wondered if all of these people were manifesting here because they were dead, like the old traitors in Antakya, or if the appearance of the traitors hadn't been related to their deaths at all. Were they really ghosts or more like echoes? He wondered if that would make Sal feel better about them. Liam snorted to himself. Sal was still saved with Grace and Menchu. She could worry about herself. His eye fell on a new face in the crowd, and all sound died in Liam's throat. She wasn't looking at him. She didn't appear to have seen him. But Liam was definitely looking at a very familiar face. Shit. The ghosts continued to gather. As Grace and the others followed them, their convoy joined others in the plaza, then walked on, meeting more groups as they slowly and deliberately made their way out of the old city toward one of the newer areas built on the outskirts of the city. For Manchu and Sal, it had long ago become impossible to move in the crowd without being stepped through by a ghost at every turn. Sal kept her eyes firmly on Manchu's back as she followed him, gritting her teeth and resolutely not looking at the ghost passing through her body. Although the ghost never made any overt move to avoid her, Grace walked in a bubble of isolation, untouched by the spirits around her. But that's nothing new, is it? Watching her life literally burn away before her eyes had not made Grace a fan of metaphors, but this one was hard to avoid. She was isolated from other people, from the world, from time itself. And now, even the ghosts apparently wanted nothing to do with her. Grace knew that she shouldn't take it personally. 
If the ghosts turned restless or violent, their antipathy could be useful. There were, as Asante had pointed out, benefits to her condition. Was that true? Or was it just what she told herself to make herself feel better about circumstances over which she had no control? Asante's question haunted her. If you could live normally again, would you still want to? Grace wrenched her attention back to the here and now. People were depending on her in a city full of ghosts. Now was no time for metaphors. The ghosts had become a virtual river flowing through the silent city. And periodically, a dog would bark in protest, but since the dogs couldn't describe what they saw to their two-legged companions, the city's human residents remained mostly oblivious. They left the residential districts and entered a commercial park where the ghosts broke formation and spread out into a giant ragged ring. The circle thickened, but an area in the center remained clear, an island surrounded by a sea of ghosts, thick enough now that individual forms blurred into a shifting fog from which faces, limbs, and objects briefly emerged, only to be sucked back in and swallowed up by the changing hole. Sal and Menchu broke through to the eye of the storm, breath misting in the spirit-cold air. Grace joined them and watched the void of her passage through the ghosts immediately vanish behind her. Sal was bent forward, hands resting on her knees as she took deep breaths, forcing herself not to hyperventilate only with difficulty. Okay, that was horrible. Menchie was not so obviously shaken, but he sat down on a bit of sidewalk in front of a large building. Is this any better? Asked Grace. Yes, yes, and in all ways, yes. Except one. Sal's look to Grace was almost comical, so deep was her distress. What do you mean? Menchu caught Grace's intent. She means that now they have us surrounded. Grace patted Sal sympathetically on the shoulder as she sank to the ground with a groan. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. 
Piora is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Piora's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piora's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Five. Liam knew the face. Green eyes rimmed in gold. Blonde hair that fell soft and straight past her shoulders. The freckles that speckled her upturned nose. He knew every detail that could be crammed into a single memory, a few heartbeats long, that he'd been given by a brush with gold-tinged blood in a clockmaker's shop, surrounded by death and time. Show me the vastness, Liam, she'd said. A fragment from his missing years that he'd ruthlessly squashed down, not wanting to poke the sleeping bear of his amnesia for fear of what he'd wake. And here she was, looking at him now. No one else on the road had made more than cursory eye contact, but this woman was looking at him and did not look away. She didn't move. She just stood there in the stream of people, looking at him, looking at her. Christina. It came to him like a lost set of keys, suddenly appearing in the spot he'd have sworn he'd searched five times before. He saw her, felt the gap of her name, and then there it was, as though it had been there all along, waiting patiently for him to notice. Her name is Christina. With that detail, others followed. She'd said she was from the West, but she'd come to Belfast looking for challenges she couldn't find in the tamed tech sectors of Galway. She'd laughed when she told him Ulster was her first visit to a foreign country, that in all her life she'd never crossed the Irish Sea. What are you doing here? Liam asked mostly to himself. A heartbeat later, she was standing before him, their faces barely a breath apart. Reflexively, Liam took a step back. She smiled at his reaction, revealing a small chip on her right front tooth. That was new. Liam wondered when and how it had happened. It didn't detract from the charm of her expression, and that made him want to shiver. What am I doing here? She repeated Liam's question back to him. What are you doing here? You turned your back on all this years ago, Liam. It doesn't concern you anymore. All of what? Cybercrime? Something else? Something darker? Seems like I'm up to my neck in it at the moment, he said, because it certainly did. Her lips twisted again. Are you, Liam? What do you think? Her smile faded. You don't remember? Not really. Come on, Christina. He threw out her name like a fishing line, not sure if it was even baited or what he'd pull back if it was. Something in her bit. Another long appraising moment, and then she said, You've got my name again, at least. Meet me in Shanghai and find out. She leaned forward and pecked him on the cheek. She didn't smell like anything, and her lips on his face were cool. Before Liam could catch her wrist or try to ask another question, she'd turned away and vanished into the crowd. 
Sal looked around with an expression of perfect despair and then turned to Grace and Menchu. Did you have to point out that we're surrounded? Couldn't you have let me enjoy the illusion of not being up to our armpits and shit for just a couple of minutes, please? Grace shrugged. Sure. Really? Yes, you're free to sit here and pretend that you aren't surrounded by ghosts. Grace gestured to Menchu. Well, we determine why they are here, how to get rid of them, and how to get Liam back. Sal glared at Grace as she got to her feet. It would serve you right if I took you up on that. You will be happier if you're busy anyway, said Menchu. Stop agreeing with her, Sal muttered. Grace and Menchu both chose to pretend that they didn't hear. With a sigh, Sal turned to look at the building, mostly because there were no ghosts in that direction. The structure was several stories high, brick, and had a number on it, which she guessed was an address, but other than that, was completely unlabeled. Do we have any idea what this place is? A warehouse, Grace guessed. I don't see a loading dock, said Menchu. Why a warehouse? It doesn't have any windows. Grace was right. The facade of the building had what looked like window frames set to match the other buildings in the area, but they were mounted on the walls, not in them, and all the glass was mirrored. Sal looked up toward the top of the building. It was hard to tell since it was the middle of the night, but she was pretty sure there was a bank of AC units on the roof. She pointed them out to the others. Necessary if you don't have windows, said Manchu. But why so many, asked Sal. It would be letting in light and heat that would be a problem in this climate. Without those, this building should need less air conditioning, not more. Unless something inside is putting off a whole lot of heat, said Manchu. Sal jumped at the squawk of a megaphone behind them. The ghosts continued to writhe in their circle around the building. A phalanx of Turkish security guards stood in the middle of their misty mass. What, said the guard that Sal assumed was either their leader or the one with the best English, are you doing here? Manchu slowly raised his hand and took a cautious step forward. We received a call. A single shot rang out in the night. Six. Sal had to envy Grace's reflexes. Before the sound of the shot had faded, Grace had already thrown herself into Father Manchu, toppling both of them to the pavement behind a bench near the building entrance. Sal dove in beside them a fraction of a second later. You hit? She asked. No, said Grace. You? Sal did a quick check to make sure the adrenaline surge hadn't covered a serious injury. No, I'm good. The bench didn't provide much in the way of cover, but when there wasn't a second shot, Sal risked a look at the guards. There was a lot of shouting at each other in Turkish, but the content of the conversation wasn't hard to guess. Someone in their midst had spotted the ghosts. Sal recognized the expressions of confusion and panic. I think we need to get out of here. Grace shook her head. I can't block both of you from that many guns. Even if you could, I'm not bringing you home full of holes, said Menchu. He gave her hand a squeeze. Grace stiffened for a moment before returning it. Can we get inside the building? Said Sal. Will that help? Said Grace. I don't know, but whatever's in there, the ghosts seem pretty excited about it. Grace eyed the short distance to the door. Doesn't look like it's anything fancier than a standard mechanical lock system. Wait for my signal. Moving swiftly and silently as a shadow, Grace slipped over to the door. The guards, still distracted by the horde of ghosts, ignored her. A minute later, she gestured to Sal and Menchu. Sal didn't try for stealth or finesse, opting instead to throw herself into motion with as much oomph as she could. 
counting on Grace to have the door unlocked by the time she reached it. Grace flung the door open and Sal barreled through, her shoes squealing to a stop on the polished concrete floor inside. She heard the door close behind Grace and Father Manchu seconds later. Did they notice that? Sal asked. The sound of the megaphone managed to penetrate the building, although the words were impossible to make out. I'm guessing yes, said Grace. At least they aren't coming in, said Sal. Yet. Manchu frowned. If they call in reinforcements, we're going to have a really big problem. Because we're going to have to call in Team One, and Monsignor Fox is going to see it as evidence that we can't do our jobs anymore? Worse, said Grace. If they call in reinforcements, the percentage of people in the city who can see the ghosts might reach a tipping point where more people can see them than can't. And that's bad because, Sal asked. People believe our cover stories about gas leaks and hallucinogenic spores because deep down, most people don't want to believe the magic actually exists. If enough people have seen evidence that it does, we'll lose containment, not just on this incident, but on what we do as a whole, said Manchu. That would definitely be bad. On the plus side, Grace observed, Masanti would probably be able to investigate whatever magic she wanted then. Manchu grimaced. Let's see if we can find Liam and put a stop to this before we find out. For lack of anything better to do, Liam continued to walk the road. With each step, he forced himself to take stock of his situation rationally. He was somewhere outside the realm of the normal world. Not good, but choosing to view it as a metaphor for a computer network kept his nerves under control for the moment. He was surrounded by participants from several different incarnations of the Silk Road. Moreover, experimentation had shown that they all knew him by name. That was kind of disturbing. Sure, Liam hadn't always used his computer skills for the white hats. Hell, there was an argument that being part of a top-secret society within the highly secretive Vatican wasn't exactly legal either. But at least now he was pretty sure he was on the side of the angels. One angel, anyway. Liam wrenched his mind away from Perry, Aaron, whatever the hell he was now, and back to the matter at hand. The fact was, it wasn't like he'd been an international crime lord in his old life. Yeah, he'd known about the Silk Road and had done his share of shady dealings, but even if he'd had an international reputation, the site was anonymous. That was the point of having an illegal internet marketplace. It was the place you could go where no one knew your name. So really, the only person here who should recognize him was Christina. He didn't know for sure how she linked to either the historical or the internet version of the Silk Road, but she pretty much lived inside the two-year-sized hole in his memory labeled Things Liam Doesn't Know. This was neither the time nor the place to pry open that particular box, but Liam tried to make the logical connections that he could. Silk Road 2.0 and its successors had never been tied to magic, as far as he knew. Yeah, there was plenty of illegal shit to be found, but if someone were trading capital letter artifacts or books on it, the maîtress would have shut it down before the society could get their boots on. If you wanted to deal, you did it at the Market Arcanum. There was some fringe stuff that wasn't worth her while to quash, and she didn't technically control anything outside of Europe, but in all of his time with Team 3, he'd never found any sign of magical commerce taking place online. Given the way that magic and tech didn't mix, it was only sensible. Except, what about the information and magic wannabe free techno-cultists who kept insisting that oil and water really wanted to be friends? No, even they did their business at the Market Arcanum. Until last year, when their attempt to raid Sal's brain had gotten at least one of their cultist cohorts banned. What if they tried to build their own trade routes to compensate? 
Liam had to get in touch with the rest of the team. He pulled out his phone. No signal. But if this was a trade route, a trade route connected to the internet, no less, there must be a way to get a message to the outside. As he mulled the problem, Liam realized that he was walking next to the man with the donkey again. Either this is the first coincidence to happen in this place, or do you know how to get back to Antakya? The man looked at Liam, blank. I mean Antioch? Nothing. If this man wasn't going to be useful, why had he been drawn to him on the road? He was missing something. Liam looked at the man more closely. He certainly didn't have a cell phone. The donkey was carrying what looked like bolts of silk. The man carried a staff and a small leather satchel with a rolled piece of paper sticking out of the top. Well, it was worth a try. Could you carry a message for me? The man nodded. Grace had been correct, in a sense. The inside of the building did very much resemble a warehouse. But the shelves, instead of being filled with boxes or trade goods, held rack upon rack of servers. Sal looked down at the rows of machines, tiny lights blinking on and off. That explained the air conditioning units. The humming HVAC system kept the space chilled to the liking of the machines. Over that, Liam's ringtone on Sal's phone sounded like a full-on orchestra. Sal scrambled in her pocket for her phone. Danny boy, said Grace. I picked it to annoy him when he was being a butthead over our breakup, Sal admitted, getting her fingers around her phone and answering it to banish the orchestra. In a moment, she had him on speaker. Liam, where are you? Have you hacked my phone from the netherworld? I not to think of it that way, but thanks. I've called your phone from what seems to be the physical manifestation of an illegal internet market that some price spark decided to call the Silk Road. And then they put the servers in Antakya. Sal felt the pieces click into place. That was a lousy coincidence. Not a coincidence. I'm pretty sure at least one group of techno-cultists is up to their necks in this. What makes you say that? Asked Menchu. A pause on the other end of the line. That's another thing I'm trying not to think about. Well, said Sal, we've got good news and bad news. Shoot. Good news. Pretty sure we're in the building where they keep the servers for the website. On the bad news, we're surrounded by a bunch of pissed off ghosts and really nervous Turkish security guards. How about you? Surrounded by weird shit, but nothing immediately threatening. A sudden quiet greeted that pronouncement, but it took Sal a moment to figure out what had changed. The air conditioning had turned off. What the hell? Grace connected the dots. They've cut. Power to the building. Those were the last words Liam heard before his phone went dead. He reached for another scrap of paper so that he could scrawl phone connection to Sal on it again, but the man and his donkey who had carried it away to make the connection were nowhere to be seen. Liam concentrated. They did not reappear. He was on his own. Liam looked around. The road was there, the people were there. His gaze fell on the distant lights of the horizon. As Liam watched them, the lights took on a tinge of green that shifted to amber, then to red. One by one, the lights winked out. Definitely not good. The servers did not shut down immediately with the air conditioning. There must be a backup generator somewhere, 
said Minshew. Smart. Grace looked at the lights on the servers, already showing angry yellow and red instead of happy green. Whatever they have, it won't keep this many machines going for long. I don't suppose, said Sal, that if the system goes down, Liam will just fall out of wherever he is and back into the real world. I'd rather not count on it, said Menchu. So what do we do? Asked Grace, bouncing unconsciously on her toes, ready to move as soon as someone gave her a direction. Menchu put on his best game face. Liam said that there were techno-cultists involved. That implies that there's a magical center to this mess. So let's do what we came here for. Find it and shut it down. A woman's voice from above answered them in Irish-accented English. Not so fast, book burners. Sal looked up. Hidden in the shadows above the servers, she could see half a dozen faces peering down at them. It was hard to make out details in the dimness, but the pistols pointing in their direction were plain enough. Liam fought to keep his breathing under control. The lights in the distance continued to wink out, and now people on the road were obviously vanishing. Website users being kicked off as the servers crashed? The site was going down, and he did not want to go down with it. Great, Liam, then how about you use that brain your claim is in your head and think of something useful? How do you get off this damn merry-go-round? The man and the donkey could make a connection to the outside world, but they were missing. He wasn't going to think about Christina. He didn't want to ask her for help. He couldn't afford to. His missing years might be a mystery country to him, but to her? Liam suspected that Christina not only had his number, she had his whole damn map. Liam kept walking, following the flow of travelers on the road. If they can't get me to Antakya, they'll have to leave me somewhere. There he was, lying to himself again. Following random people in the dark wasn't going to get him anywhere but lost. And how's that different from what I've been doing for the last nine years? There was a two-year-sized hole in his memory that he had never even tried to look inside. And he'd been wandering around all this time as if ignoring it would make whatever had happened during his possession disappear. The time had come to face facts. Christina said this place didn't concern him anymore, which implied that at some point it had. The historical and digital Silk Roads couldn't have created this place by themselves. Magic required sympathy, sure, but for sympathy to produce an alternate plane of reality, that required magic. Liam closed his eyes, reached back into his memory. When have I been someplace like this before? He opened his eyes again. A second path branched off from the main road beneath his feet. Liam followed it. Grace pretended she cared about the pistol pointed at the back of her head as the Irish woman led the team deeper into the building. Even before she didn't have to worry about bullets, she could have disarmed the man behind her. But she couldn't disarm the man behind her, the one behind Menchu, plus the one behind Sal, before any of them had a chance to fire. She could avenge her friends, but she couldn't save them. If it came down to a choice between saving their lives and allowing the knowledge of magic to escape into the larger world, she knew which one she would have to make. I am not a tool of the society. I am a person. But that doesn't mean I won't do my job. That didn't mean it was a choice that she could make without consequences. She had seen friends die before. She thought of Menchu and wasn't sure that she could bear doing it again. What was the alternative? Grace would not easily die by another's hand. She couldn't stomach the thought of suicide. Maybe Asante would let her rest if she asked her to. 
If she let a few hundred years pass without her, would the pain she left behind be just as fresh when she returned? If I could live normally again, would I even know how? Their little procession stopped before a giant set of wooden doors placed incongruously in a frame set up in the middle of the room. The doors were ajar, but Grace couldn't see anything on the other side. The Irish woman called to a skinny guy bent over a computer. Is it still open? Technically, he said, unsure. But it's not very stable. I'm not sure it would be a survivable trip. Good. She jerked her head in Manchu's direction, then indicated the doors. You first. The path Liam followed led away from the lights into a darkness so complete that he stopped trying to see and just closed his eyes. It was easier, he found, without the distraction. He didn't have to worry about seeing where he was going. The road was as even and featureless as it was dark, and it seemed to go on forever. That sensation felt familiar. Why? Show me the vastness, Liam, Christina said. He was looking into her eyes, feeling like he was falling and not falling at the same time. And spread beneath them was a vast design etched in black upon the darkness of the void itself. In the present, Liam nearly stumbled as his eyes flew open. The newness and power of the memory was exhilarating and even more terrifying than he'd imagined. But the vastness before him was no longer featureless. It was familiar. And he knew his way home. Manchu hadn't moved. Sal braced to throw herself against him, prevent him bodily, if necessary, from entering the portal that these people had as much as admitted was a one-way trip. Whatever your plan is, Manchu observed, killing us will only make it more difficult. If we go missing, the society will come looking for us. We'll be long gone by the time anyone comes after you, said the Irish woman. What is your plan, anyway? asked Sal. The woman rolled her eyes. Since you're gonna die anyway, I may as well share my evil plan. I don't think so. How about this? If none of you survive, I'll be sure to explain everything to your corpses. She turned to Manchu. Now quit stalling. If you move through the portal before it gets too degraded, you and your friends might... What they might or might not have done was lost in a massive explosion of white light that sent the doors flying outward on their hinges. As Sal reflexively cringed back, she could barely make out a gray-shaped shadow seizing Manchu by the back of his coat and hauling him after her away from the blast. Everything after that was blackness. When Sal came to, the techno-cultists were gone. The doors hung open, empty and ordinary. Grace was checking Manchu for injuries. Liam held out a hand to help Sal to her feet. What happened to the others? Sal asked. They ran for it about the time I showed up he said, right into the arms of Turkish security. What was that big white light? Liam grimaced. Something I'm gonna have to finally figure out. Come on, he added. If we hurry, we should be able to sneak out the back while the security guards and the technocultists are keeping each other busy. That sounded good to Sal. She made it to her feet and was pleasantly surprised to find herself largely unhurt. Are you okay? She asked. Where were you? What happened? Liam sighed. I don't think I've been okay for a while, but it's time I tried to get there. At Sal's look of concern, he tried to reassure her. I'll tell you all about it on the way home. Back at the archives, Grace listened as Liam told them all what had happened to him on the Silk Road. 
He had offered to debrief on the plane, but Menchu insisted they wait until they were home and he could tell Asante at the same time. As Liam spoke, Grace watched Sal's brow knitting confusion. Back when we were comparing evil exes, I thought you said the woman who got you into magic was named Jenna. How many magical former girlfriends do you have? Liam spread his hands helplessly. I have two years that I don't really remember, and demons aren't big on monogamy, he said. Jenna and a guy she knew named Bron, they were the ones who got me hooked. Christina came later, after I was already doing whatever I was doing while I was possessed. Until I saw her on the Silk Road, I didn't even remember that I had forgotten her. Can you remember anything else? Asante asked. No, but the gaps feel more present than they have in a long time. And don't think that doesn't have me freaked right the fuck out, he said. But I'm gonna have to deal with it. The tide is rising, and I can't afford not to know the truth about my own past anymore. It's not safe for me or anyone else. Secrets have a way of emerging, said Menchu. Asante gave a rueful smile in return. That they do. Grace could see that the others were tired. One by one, they filtered out, back to their various homes to sleep. In her mind, she wished them all pleasant dreams. Only Asante remained, working. Grace watched her as she flipped through her reference books, made notes to herself, quietly hummed. She didn't look up until Grace stood directly in front of her desk. If you could live normally again, would you still want to? When Grace didn't speak, Asante gently broke the silence. Can I help you? Grace licked suddenly dry lips. Yes, she said. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El Motar. Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify or at realm.fm.